I would like to, if I may this evening, I would like to draw your attention to the book of Second Chronicles. The book of Second Chronicles, chapter number 12. And uh, momentarily following that, we will read a couple of verses from Second Corinthians chapter 4. But I would like for you to join me this evening, if you would, in Second Chronicles chapter 12. I feel some wonderful momentum in our worship right now. Uh, I don't want this statement to be misunderstood because there's certainly nothing wrong with hype and dancing and shouting and, and all of that. But I'm thankful for the maturity of your worship tonight as they were singing. There was like nothing sung that would make you just take off running around the aisles. But I watched as you precious people lifted your hands towards heaven and the Spirit of God began to rest on this house. I'm so thankful that I don't have to be hyped up to know that God's amazing. That he is so good. Amen. He's amazing. I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be a part of his kingdom. Second Chronicles chapter 12. I give honor to my bishop tonight. Thank God for him, for this church. Amen. Verse number 9 of Second Chronicles 12. We'll shorten the story up just a little bit so that we can get to the main task at hand tonight. We're going to preach the word of God. Amen. Second Chronicles 12 and 9. If you're there, say amen. amen. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord. And he took away the treasures of the king's house. And he took all. And he carried away also the shields of gold which Solomon had made. Instead of which, or in the stead of, to replace the shields of gold. King Rehoboam made shields of brass and committed them to the hands of the chief of the guard that kept the entrance of the king's house. And when the king entered into the house of the Lord, the guard came and fetched them and brought them again into the guard chamber. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him that he would not destroy him altogether. And also in Judah, things went well. And it says, verse 13, that Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and he reigned. For Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign and he reigned for 17 years in the city which the Lord had chosen. Think about this language. The Lord had chosen the city, and he was the king of Judah. Out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. Verse 14, and he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. It goes on to tell us that the rest of his acts are, not, are written 
in another book. But I would like to draw your attention to verse 9 again, if I may. Shishak, the king of Egypt, comes to Jerusalem and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord. And then he took the treasures of the king's house and then he took all. Think about it. He takes from the temple, it started at the house of God, then it came to the king's house, and then he took everything. Whatever all means, he took it. And Rehoboam, instead of fighting for it, and going back and getting what belonged in his house and what belonged in the Lord's house, the scripture said that he simply took some copper and brass and beat it out and made some shields that looked like what the old shields looked like. The enemy took shields of gold. And Rehoboam thought, I would rather look like I've got it all together and make a substitute shield out of brass than I would to go fight for what belongs right here. And I feel like preaching to you tonight that there are some things still worth fighting for. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You may be seated. I want to tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's no other life I want to live than to live for Jesus. That's not a good preaching point. That's not something to excite and exhilarate a congregation. It's a fact. I want to live for God. If I wanted to do something else, I'd go do something else. But there is nothing in this world or the world to come that is more rewarding than doing the right thing and just living for God. There's a lot of folks that it takes them a lifetime to learn that lesson, and some of them, they never do learn the lesson in the lifetime. But there is a fact that must be dealt with in our lives that is inevitable it's inescapable you and i are all going to stand before the judgment seat of christ the word of the lord tells us it is appointed unto man once to die and then judgment i don't know what's going to happen after i die i hope the lord comes back before i do but if that's not the case i don't know what happens in that moment that you draw your last breath, and what happens next? I don't really know. Sister Rep. Rogel passed away last week. Precious family that have been connected to us for 600 years, approximately thereat. And Sister Rep. Rogel uh, and Brother Rep. Rogel lost a little boy uh, that was a, a very small child, like six years old was my understanding. Greg was about six years old when he was ran over by a work truck in front of their house. His name was Greg. And that's been over 50 years ago, 60 almost years ago, I guess. Um, and the other day, just as Sister Rep. Rogel was 
drawing her last breath, they said the last words that came out of her mouth is that she looked up and said, Greggy, Greggy. I don't know what Sister Rep Rogel saw. I don't know if Greg walked in the room to welcome, welcome her to paradise. I don't know. I don't know how all that works. But what I can tell you is that I'm working to be sure that when that day comes for me, that whatever it is that happens on the other side of that, I have made an impact on this side of that. I don't know what's going to happen when I die, but I do have a say-so in what happens while I live. And I want to be sure that while I'm living, I make every moment count. I make every Sunday count. I make every Wednesday count. Come on, somebody. I want to be sure that I make every birthday count. I want to be sure that I make every moment count. I do not want to frivolously spend the resources that God has given me in my life and meander my way through mediocrity and work my way through life to get to the end of my journey and look back and people say, what did he do? What did he accomplish? What 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 kind of impact did he make? I don't know what's going to happen when I leave here, but I do know what I'm going to do today. And today I'm going to give God my very best. I'm going to give God everything I have. Every time I preach, I'm going to preach like it's my last time. Every time I sing, I'm going to sing like it's my last time. Every time I come to church, I'm going to worship like it's my last time. I want to give God the very best that I can give Him. I am not ashamed to be a child of God today. And I feel like God deserves my best. So... I just want to challenge you tonight. As I look at stories that fill our minds, pages of history, history is replete with men and women that really the only thing we know about them is what other people say about their lives. It's a surprising deal when you read someone's biography because that's their opportunity to say what they want you to know about them. It's a little bit different when you read an autobiography because that's what other people say about them. And sometimes there's more truth revealed in an autobiography than there is in a biography because there are two people in your life, in your body, and I'm not talking about schizophrenia. I'm talking about the two people that you represent. That's the real you and the you that you want everybody to believe that you are. But Jesus said it's really easy to find out who you really are. Because he said where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And so you can say one thing about your biography that you're writing right now and say, I love God and I love church and I love the kingdom and I love worship and on and on and on. But really, your treasure and your heart are speaking volumes tonight as to who you really are and what you really want to be. And I don't know exactly who I came here to help tonight, but you just stay with me for a few moments. I'm going to lay some groundwork and I'm going to help somebody in this house tonight. I feel a prophetic anointing on me 
in this place. And so I'm going to prophesy to the atmosphere before we're done. And God's going to shake some things down. But I need somebody that will touch and agree with me tonight. Listen, I didn't just come here for you to like him, my speechy, okay? I came here tonight because somebody needs to set, be set free. I've come to preach to somebody in this house tonight, in this moment right here, that you have lost your fight. The enemy has caused you to want to sit down when you know you should have been standing. Amen. You're at a crossroad in your life right now that has put you closer to breakthrough than you ever dreamed that you were. But you just can't see it right now. And because you can't see it, you don't know how close you are to the breakthrough. And you're trying to sit down and quit on God right now. But let me go ahead and prophesy to you in the Holy Ghost. I have come to stand in this pulpit and declare to you. You are closer than you've ever been to your breakthrough. Don't you dare sit down. Don't you dare shut up. Don't you dare lay down. Don't you dare give up. I feel like telling you that some things are still worth fighting for. You've got to get back up again and fight. It is easy when we get discouraged to just lay down and quit and throw in the towel and act like it's not worth it anymore. I'm preaching to somebody in here tonight that has had that very conversation in your very spirit this week. Is it really worth it to go on? Is it really worth it to keep fighting? Is it really worth it to keep being faithful? You hear me tonight loud and clear. It is worth it. It is absolutely worth it. It is worth every mile I feel like telling you tonight that if you give up right now you're going to look back someday and realize how close you were to a breakthrough I know you may not believe it and it don't make sense right now but just stay with me when I tell you that the very laws of nature itself teach us that just before there is a breakthrough there will always be a shaking Chuck Yeager attempted to break the sound barrier over and over. And he said there was that one point in every flight that he would try to do it that would scare him to death. And he would always back off the throttle just as he would get to the point of breaking through the sound barrier. He said that the airplane would begin to shake and rivets would shake and instruments would act crazy. He said everything around me was shaking. But I knew when I finally broke through because the shaking stopped and I realized that it was the shaking that made me afraid to keep pushing but if I push through the shaking on the other side of that there was a barrier that no man had ever been to before let me preach to you tonight you may be shaking right now but keep pushing I have come tonight to give somebody the courage to stand up and declare openly to the devil. You just thought you were taking the fight out of me. You just thought you took the win out of me. But I'm going to stand up and fight another day. I'm going to stand up and believe another day. And there will come a day that this test I'm in right now will be a testimony.
Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures. Oh. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord. Something's got to be pretty important to be called a treasure. Because treasures aren't replaceable. You can't just take a treasure and find something else to fill its spot. And Shishak came, which I don't find it any coincidence that Shishak was the king of Egypt. We know that in the scripture, Egypt represents the world. You want to know what the world's after? Do you want to know why the world has tried everything it can to kill the church? And what it cannot kill, it just dilutes. Do you know why Egypt wants the church of the living God to compromise? Because if we compromise, then Egypt has our treasures. I'm going to step out here and just preach it to you tonight and tell you that they may be able to sing the same songs we sing. And they may have preachers that can emulate how a Pentecostal preacher preaches. But just because they've got the feel doesn't mean they have the treasure. I am tired of the enemy constantly putting pressure on the church to make us believe that the answer to growth is compromise. That's foolish. The moment you compromise, you're handing over the treasures. The answer is not substitutes. The answer is not compromise. The answer is holding on. The answer is fighting. And the Bible said that Rehoboam, that when Shishak came up against them, that the first thing he had access to was the house of the Lord. You listen to this preacher when I tell you tonight. It may seem insignificant to you right now, but you don't know the danger or the opportunities that you present to the enemy. When you start missing one service at a time, when you start missing one prayer meeting at a time, when you start, listen, I'm telling you right now, if you give him an inch, huh? My God, y'all are preachers. It's going to begin at the house of God. You're going to start getting discouraged. You're going to start feeling out of place. You're going to start feeling like you don't fit. You're going to start feeling frustrated. You're going to start feeling like people are talking about you. Pastor, what in the world's going on? Have you heard reports? I hadn't heard reports from anybody in this church. But I've been feeling some shifting in prayer right now. That the enemy's been fighting against us. The church was closed for 53 days. And not, not closed down completely, completely, but you understand what I'm saying. It was 53 days from the time we got to worship together in person until we got to worship together Again, and if you think for one minute, just because you and I weren't here every week, that the enemy went ahead and pushed pause on his plan and stopped working, you have lost your mind. I'm telling you that while our hands were tied and we didn't feel like we had any other choice, the enemy was wreaking havoc. And there were people that sat at home for 53 days and talking about how they wanted to be in the house of God. And now that we're in the house of God, they're 
dealing with spirits that make them feel insignificant like they mean nothing to anybody they are spirits that's talking in their ear now that you've made it back to the house of God those spirits are trying to tell you that you're never going to make a difference and that nobody's going to notice if you don't show up but you hear this preacher ha I feel the Holy Ghost tonight you hear me when I tell you you are valuable to God you are valuable to the kingdom you are valuable to this church you are valuable to your pastor you bring value to the kingdom of God it's time to stand up for what belongs to you and tell the devil tonight you are not accessing my family you are not accessing my treasure I know this sounds reversed, but let me lay some groundwork for you. This picture starts in the Lord's house, goes to the king's house, and ultimately everything that Shishak wanted, he took. That's the part that's written. That's the part after Shishak had stormed the gates of Judah. But understand me when I tell you this did not start by the enemy knocking the gate down. This started at home by Rehoboam twiddling his thumbs and and beginning to prioritize in his life what was most and least important. Are you hearing what I'm telling you right now? The end result of a man vacillating in his mind and his spirit and refusing to be sold out is that the enemy knew if I can ever get the treasures in the house of the Lord, then I'm going to have open access to everything that's in his house. And eventually I'll take everything that I want. I'm telling you right now that when you sit at home and you prioritize in your mind how important things are or how unimportant things are, And you start playing the role of God in your life. And you start questioning the things that at one time you knew to be a fact. I'm telling you the enemy knows how. He knows how to catch you when you're by yourself. While you're laying on your bed at night. He knows how to catch you when nobody else is around. And he tries to make you believe that you're never going to make a difference. But I've come to encourage you tonight. You are a world changer. You are a difference maker. You are not fit. Shishak took the treasures of the house of the Lord. Does anybody know where the treasures are kept? On the inside of the temple. In the secret chambers. <laughs> I don't have time to preach all that. But it's something that's kept inside. As a matter of fact, if you read Nehemiah chapter 13, you find out where Tobiah was living because Elijah but let him live there. It was in the inner chamber of the house of God. And that's where Tobiah moved all the sacred things out and moved his world in because that's the way it works. But Shishak came in and he started destroying things from the inside out. Notice how he worked. He worked from the inner chamber where the treasures were all the way to the outside porch where the shields were. 
If the enemy's going to destroy us, don't you think for one minute that he's going to start with the shields that everybody can see? Oh, no, no. He's not going to start with the flash on the outside of the temple. He's going to start working on the inside, on the inner chambers of the house of God. He's going to start messing with pillar saints. He's going to start messing with people's minds that have stood strong for truth. Hey, listen, I'm just going to throw this out and tell you tonight. I would absolutely be worried if the devil left me alone pastor the devil's been fighting me my whole world's shaking then start dancing on that and giving God praise on that if the devil's been leaving you alone you haven't done jack squat for God if the devil's leaving you alone and there's no pressure it's because you're not a threat the reason why you're fighting the shaking is because you're just about there Starts working from the inside out. And he moves his way out. Eventually. To the shields of gold that Solomon had taken. And I'm going to do my best to not preach long tonight. I just need you to stay here with me for a few minutes. He takes the shields of gold. That Solomon had made. Folks. If we had a few days. We could teach on the importance of. Of these shields of gold that Solomon had made. They weren't just little tiny thin pieces of beaten gold. They were beautiful shields of gold that had weight and value to them. But the only thing that mattered. And I hope to God you're tuned into the Holy Ghost right now. Because I'm fixing to speak prophetically to somebody in this room right now. The only thing that mattered to Rehoboam. Was to be sure that the outside looked like it was always supposed to look and it didn't matter to him how heavy the shields of brass were we all know that if you take the as far as volume is concerned the same size of a shield that's made of brass and a shield that's made of gold the weight difference is going to be crazy crazy different because the value is not just in uh in the 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 gold itself but in the weight of it It was something that had weight and I feel like preaching right now that every time the wind would blow, you couldn't just blow around a shield of gold. It was going to take a storm to move. It was something that had some weight in it that every time a wind of false doctrine started blowing, your shield didn't blow away. But Rehoboam didn't care about how heavy it was. Rehoboam didn't care about the weight of it. Rehoboam wanted everybody that came by the house of God to look at the outside of it and make everybody believe that even if it don't feel like it used to feel it still looks it still looks like it used to look you hear this preacher when I tell you tonight there are more important things than the smile that's on your face God is not impressed with the shields of brass. He wants something in our life that is weighty and valuable so that when storms come, I don't 
don't want to be a part of surface worship. I don't want to be a part of surface praise. I don't want to just try to mesmerize people with the flash of my worship. I want there to be some weight behind it. I want it to move heaven. I want it to move earth. I want devils to tremble when I step into the sanctuary. And this is a picture of how the enemy works. But it's also a picture of how humanity works. As I read through this story, a couple months ago I was reading through the Chronicles. I came across this story. I haven't preached out of this chapter in many, many years. But I came across this story. And I found myself while reading in this chapter... Like I could just hear myself out loud, Brother Haney, saying, oh my God, Rehoboam, no. No. That's not the answer. Don't do that. Don't try to substitute the weighty things. Just so that people think you've got it all together. And I could feel myself. I, feel, I could feel myself. I was sitting there with my Bible, holding it open. And I came to this portion of Scripture. And it was like I could just hear myself in the spirit crying out to Rehoboam saying, my God, man, get up and do something about it. Get up and go fight somebody. Get up and call your soldiers. Get up and reach for somebody. And all of a sudden it dawned on me for the first time in my life is that this battle was already over before Shishak got there or he would have never been able to get in. Oh, if I had a rewind button, I'd hit it about ten times right now. Let me slow this down and be sure you get this way down deep in your heart. The only way Shishak got in is because the men who should have been guarding the gate, because it mattered to Rehoboam, weren't guarding the gate anymore. All it takes is for you to stop blocking access to the enemy and it won't be very long until treasures start to disappear you hear me tonight as I cry out for somebody that is close to the precipice of jumping off tonight and throwing in the towel and quitting I feel like telling you you had better start making some decisions right now before Shishak ever knocks on the door that the day he comes I was like, man, where are the men of war? Why don't you stand up, Rehoboam? Why don't you like stand up and have somebody blow a trumpet and shout out loud and say, all of you men that I've told you where to go to your post right now, they should have known at the blast of the trumpet, this is where you go stand. But there were no trumpets and there were no men. And it's a picture of 21st century religion where we'd rather have shields of brass than we would mighty men. Why would you pray and fast as long as your your brass shields still sparkle when people drive by? Bishop and I were in my office in the studio the other night. 
been three weeks ago, I think now. We were talking about the things that we put first in the house of God. It's amazing. Across the board, how much more time the average cutting-edge apostolic church, how much more time they spend in rehearsal than they do in prayer. Boy, it's quiet up in here right now. You know what we need, Pastor? We need, we need, we need to step up our, our music a little bit. We need to step up our choir a little bit. We need to step up. We need to, no, we don't. See, I've done this test. I've been at Pentecost long enough to do this test. And I'm not just a preacher. I've been a musician all my life. I've been playing music longer than I've been preaching. And I want to tell you a little secret. I've done experiments all through the years when I had the power to say what I wanted about the music and the power to say what I wanted to about the preaching. And I'd, I'd get up and play an old song and people would sit on it. I'd get up and sing a new song and people would sit on it. Because it's not the music. It's what you find value in. You start some old-fashioned song that's in the hymnal. And people that don't understand the value of it. Just say, give me something where I can clap and stomp. Why? You want them shields of brass? So that everybody can see your flash? I know. To some of us, it doesn't mean anything. To hear on Calvary's hill of sorrow... Where sin's demands were paid And waves of hope for tomorrow Across our paths were laid I see a crimson stream of blood It flows from Calvary And its waves which reach the throne of God Are now sweeping over me You can't clap to that, Pastor. You can't dance to that, Pastor. You can't juke and jive to that. Do you know what birthed that song? Bishop G.T. Haywood shut himself in his office with nobody else but just the word of God, no food, nothing for three days. And he said, I'm going to sit in this office until I hear from God. And by Sunday morning, all the saints had gathered in. And he walked out of that office with nothing but prayer and fasting for several days. And when he stepped out to the pulpit, he didn't pull out his Bible and start preaching on the oneness of God, although it mattered to him. He stepped out and he started singing something that came only by revelation. It wasn't about a shield of brass to him. It was about a weightier matter to him. There's somebody in the room today that needs to hear about the blood. And they need to know that the blood reaches from the highest mountain to the lowest valley. And wherever you are today, that blood is powerful enough to reach you where you are. I'm telling you right now, it's not about the music. It's not about the beat of the drum. I don't want artificial worship. Several years ago, Matt Redman, who is the denominal worship leader from Australia, 
said that his pastor had just gone into a meeting with God and things got real pretty quick. Matt Redman's very, very much a modern day psalmist, so to speak. Very, wrote a lot of uh, top songs uh, in Christian, the Christian music world. Matter of fact, we sing quite a few of them in this church. Uh, blessed be your name. Uh, you give and take away. Blessed be the name. That was a Matt Redman song. Matt Redman had an amazing team put together in a very large church. It wasn't like some little home mission work. It was a big, big, big church. He said his pastor came in one day and said, look, I'm tired of the flash. I'm tired of all that. As of today, all our musicians are sat down. Gone. He said it got real awkward, you know. He just walked in. He said, I'm tired of it. Everybody sat down. And all the musicians sat down except for Matt and his guitar. And he said, during that season where they were trying to find the will of God, and I'm not here to judge anything, I'm just telling you the story. He said they were trying to find the will of God and what was supposed to be happening. He said he sat down to lead worship. And Brother McLean, he said the song that he wrote, we sing it here, it just started flowing out of his heart. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within than the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And he began to sing that chorus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. It's all about you. Rehoboam, the problem is it's not about God anymore. It's all about you. It's about you strengthening yourself. It's about the world seeing the shield of brass. But Rehoboam, you've got to understand there is nothing like the real thing. If you want revival, you've got to have real revival. If you want breakthrough, you've got to have real breakthrough. I don't want to come in here with selfish motivation. I don't want to come in here and say, God, I want bigger buildings and more people and bigger tithe and more staff and bigger houses. I want revival. I want harvest. I want authentic worship. In our conversation the other night, Bishop and I sat in the office on, on the live broadcast. And I began to ask questions as to what we thought the picture would look like. We're so blessed in this church. We have great musicians, holy people, spiritual people, godly people that really give themselves. You, there's a really good chance that you'll catch any of our musicians uh, just at any time. You may come by here and there will be several several people pray and they really have pure hearts we've got great music we have great people that work so very hard 
We have decent sound system with amazing sound team. They work so hard. They work so hard every week in our media team to be sure. Hey, man, if you can follow me on that crazy computer, you are absolutely awesome because I don't shoot them anything before church half the time or 90% of the time. And they just follow along and make you think that I'm just smooth as silk and I gave them everything on a piece of paper. Thank you all for making me look good. But here's what I want to say to you tonight. What do you think would happen? Now, I know we went 53 days with nothing except for video, okay? But what do you think would happen to this beautiful crowd of people that's here on this Sunday night? If next Sunday when you came in, the music wasn't working, the keyboard was broke, so we said, sorry, we don't have a keyboard tonight. And the next week, the keyboard still wasn't fixed. And then we broke something on the drums two weeks later and said, well, sorry, we don't have drums either. And then the bass broke a string because Stephen Gill was beating the hawk out of it. And it was over, and he broke it now. What are we going to do? We don't have a base. And, and then you come in three weeks later and we say, guys, sorry, it's so hot in here in the middle of summer, but we don't have any air conditioning. And then you come in and we say, you know what? You folks got too comfortable in this room that was so hot it'd make you want to live right. In this church where we have no music, in this church where nothing's good, our sound system blew. Sean said he was sick of fighting with everybody back there, and so he kicked everybody out, and he didn't want to come either. So we don't have any sound system. How long do you think it would take for y'all to walk in here and I say, well, we gave all our comfortable chairs away. Now we've just got some metal folding chairs, a few two-by-fours going across some concrete there and little blocks, and let's have church. See, nobody wants to move right now at all. Nobody wants to nod because they're like, our pastor's crazy enough. We'll come in here with no pews. <laughs> what would we do? God forbid. If we had to worship on sawdust. Oh, pastor, you're so hypothetical. Yeah, I was hypothetical too when I said there's going to come a day they're going to try to keep our doors closed. What would we do? How long would it take you to find another church that had a better program? How long would it take for the conversations to start? Well, I'm not going to sit in there while it's Hot as Satan's neighborhood. If they want me to come to that church, they'll fix the air conditioner. You know what? We're blessed to have air conditioning. But let us not forget that there are people all over this world that have never had an air conditioner in their church. And they've never had a pew to sit on. And while we sit here sometimes and fold our hands on God because we don't like the preacher... And we don't, that's not our pastor. And that, that, that's not the song I would have picked tonight. You got to feel the tension in the Holy Ghost. As the Holy Ghost is speaking and saying for the love of everything, get up and start fighting for this thing. It's not about a shield of brass. It's about a Holy Ghost breakthrough. It's about apostolic revival. I hope to God that we have heat and air condition until Jesus comes. I hope we've got a beautiful building until Jesus comes. And if it's in my power at all, there'll never be another day that the government shuts the doors of this church. You mark that down. But I'm telling you.
you this tonight. If every bit of it goes away, I still got to be saved. I can say it to you like this. I'm quickly coming to a close. The longer I read this story and I stayed on it, chewed on it, I've preached it through the years in the past. Camp meetings and conferences. Because there's some stuff in there that will preach. Then you start feeling convicted. Because you really don't realize how often in Pentecost we present our shields of gold. Our shields of brass, rather, just to get somebody to do a backflip or run the aisle at a conference. And I told somebody, several people, but I told a pastor specifically the other day while we were going through all this junk and people didn't know what to do and whether to have church, not to have church, whatever. He called me. He's like, what are you going to do, man? I said, listen, I'm going to tell you what we got to do. We got to stand strong. I said, because we've got people, men, that fill pulpits that at conferences and camp meetings, they'll preach whatever they have to to make people do backflips. But now we're going to get a chance to see if they really believe what they've been preaching. Because they get up and preach that God's bigger than sickness and God's bigger than virus and God's bigger than all that. And now we're sitting back, got our hands folded, acting like we're scared to death because the enemy caught us off guard. What are you going to do now? I said, we're going to keep doing what we know to do. But the longer I chewed on this story, there was a truth that jumped off the page to me that probably in my lifetime, Mother, I don't know how many times I've read the Bible through with you, and I don't know how many times I've read this story. But something came off this page. that I had never paid attention to before. It was a very simple fact. It was obvious to me that the treasures of the house of God was more of a treasure to Shishak than it was to Rehoboam. Things that used to be a treasure in the kingdom no longer held treasure status. Because if it was a treasure to Rehoboam, then Rehoboam would have fought for it. But there is a powerful truth tucked away at the end of this ninth verse. And he carried away also the shields of gold. Somebody help me with this. That Solomon had made. And for the first time in my life, it was where I realized the beautiful picture being painted with such a broad brushstroke that Rehoboam will never be as invested as Solomon was. And that's why it don't matter to him anymore. That was Solomon's shields. That was his old doctrine. 
that was his old holiness standard. Let me ask y'all something. Can I just, can I ask, is it all right that I slowed down to land this bird? Can I? If every generation of pastors get so smart that they get a new revelation and the Lord withholds his coming for another 20 or 30 years and every generation says, well, what Solomon preached is not necessary anymore. How long is it going to take for all the treasures to be gone? Well, your grandpa was just old-fashioned. That's why we didn't watch that stuff and wear that stuff and go those places. All right. So let's just say I tell my kids, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, just old fuddy-duds. You have to understand that your great-great-grandfather pastored Sister Doris, during the Depression era, so it was, it was different. They were just poor people, just fighting for truth. So here's what I started doing. I started tracking through this. I started looking from generation to generation. Yes, Solomon finished the temple, it's true. But Solomon finished that temple with the things that David had stored up. So Solomon could walk you through that temple and look at the bird up here that was carved out of beautiful gold and had the red ruby in the eye, Brother Gray. And he could say, you know, that's a very valuable ruby right there. But David, David could have told you where the ruby came from. The night he crawled on his belly through the dew in the valley and made his way silently into the enemy's camp and crawled into the tent of his enemy without anybody else knowing in the stealth of the night soaked in the dew and pulled the dagger off of his hip and reached up to that enemy that had been asleep, that king, and dug that dagger across his throat and took his life. And said, you've taken enough from Israel. And God's not going to stand for it. And I'm not going to stand for it. And he grabbed that bag of rubies on the way out the door. And he said, someday my boy can put this in the house of God. Here is the fact that I've got to get you to know down deep in your spirit. It may very well be. That Solomon could tell you the value of a thing. But David could have told you the cost. And we had better be very, very careful. Before we start taking down shields. That have blood and sweat. And tears of men of God. You don't know how many storms those shields have had to withstand. You don't know how many nights that Solomon had to fight off the enemy for the love of everything holy. Let's fight for it. Pastor, I bet... If you would stop preaching separation the way you do, you preach like it's still the 1960s. If you'd stop preaching that junk, this church would blow up. Well, here's news for you. It ain't because of me, but this church is blowing up anyway. 
It's not because of me. It's because God is doing a work in the earth right now. And he's looking for somebody that the shield still matters to him. He's looking for somebody that still loves holiness. He's looking for a body that'll fight for revival. Where are the people that'll cry out, give us revival, give us children, give us harvest. Oh, God. I don't know tonight. You can remain standing. I don't know tonight. I didn't really get to finish where I wanted to head, but I want to show you something. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Brother Wendell, thank you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7. We have this treasure. In earth and vessels. I don't know how to say this without sounding offensive. Okay, so don't be offended. But what Paul was saying here, Brother Looper, is that this Holy Ghost will always be more valuable than your old earthen vessel. In your flesh, there is no good thing. So if you're full of the Holy Ghost... You've got a treasure. But let me tell you what that treasure can do for you, my friends. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. I want to be sure that it's not a shield of brass so that I get the glory. I want to be sure that I take care of that treasure so that God gets the glory. He said, because when you've got this kind of treasure, watch this, verse 8. He said, we are troubled on every side, yet we are not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. He said, this is the kind of treasure that if it's still a treasure to you, when Shishak comes against you, you may be having pressure against you, but you will not be destroyed. I'm telling somebody tonight that this apostolic treasure is still worth fighting for. If you're thankful for truth tonight, I want you to shout it out. If you're thankful for revival, I want you to shout it out. If you're thankful for apostolic book of Acts heritage, would you shout? This church is worth fighting for. Revival is worth fighting for. My kids are worth fighting for. My wife is worth fighting for. We're going to fight for revival. Come on, you can fill in the blanks tonight. But is there anything in your life that at one time was a treasure to you? But now it seems that it started to lose its value. Hey, let me encourage you. Go back and fight for that marriage one more time. Go back and fight for them kids one more time. Go back and fight for your victory one more time. Go back and fight for it. Come on, you've got this. Go back to that prayer room and fight for revival. Go fight for that backslider right now. It's got to be valuable to you.